What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 74th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. You just moved. Oh, man. Did I move? Um, I sure did, man. Uh, yep, the move is over. Uh, I am now a resident of uh, Durham region once again. Um, what's old is new again, Eric, as we started this journey way back, uh, at movie monarchy, um, and movie night way back in the day when I was podcasting from my, uh, bedroom at my parents' house. Um, now I'm podcasting from my office at my house, uh, that I'm living in with, uh, my lovely fiance Nevis and my wonderful sister, Sarah. So yeah, the move was on Friday, man. Um, yeah, back in, in Whippy slash Oshawa. Um, legitimately right on the border to the point where I'm like, do I say I just live in Whippy? So I don't have to say I live in Oshawa. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, you know, I, I, once you leave a place like I, I, I grew up in Oshawa. I spent a lot of time obviously in this area, uh, when you're younger or when it's your place that you've lived your whole life, you kind of be like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And then you move to the big city, move to Toronto. Uh, obviously had five wonderful years there. It's, it's, it's great living, you know, right downtown or on the West end where we were. Um, but you know, what? as you get older, I'm 31 now, uh, Nevis and I were supposed to get married this year. She's always wanted, uh, you know, to buy a house. Um, we're not, we haven't purchased a house. We are renting again, but, um, we just, especially with everything over the last couple months, we just were like, you know, what? um, we need more space. And you're spending a lot more time at home. And I'm more of a homebody anyway. And Nevis is a homebody as well. She loves, you know, she loves going out with her friends and she loves going to restaurants and she loves, you know, going to parks and hikes and things like that. But I honestly think we'll have more easy access to a lot of the outdoor stuff now that, you know, we're outside of the city and um, we'll probably get a car and things like that. The restaurants is one of those things we might have to do a bit more digging and hopefully that kind of, you know, gets a little bit better out here. Or maybe there is some great stuff that I just don't know about because I haven't lived here for half a decade. But yeah, man, um, we're moved, um, hired movers. Um, it was it was a day, man. But it, both, there's a lot of positive and negatives when you hire movers, but um a con it costs a lot of money um pro you don't have to do anything um which is great but now we're on the unpacking phase um i've settled in a little bit um that's why we've been a little delayed so thank you everyone for being patient we did squeak out that tiff episode which you guys should definitely check out our 30 uh 73rd draft um where eric and i kind of go over the entire uh 2020 uh toronto international film festival lineup uh that's available on podcast services right now you guys can go listen to uh, if you haven't yet. Um, yeah, man. And I, I was able to squeeze in some movies like she dies tomorrow and, uh, an American pickle. So we have reviews up for those, which you guys should check out as well, but it's been a hectic, you know, whirlwind month because a month ago we had no plans on moving and we were just kind of, kind of browsing at stuff. And now I'm in a new house. So it's been wild. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. I just actually want to add a quote to this that I think will, uh, kind of come all you know full circle uh it's from uh t.s Eliot. we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time yeah that's a great quote man 
It's also fantastic. part of the Spence Diamonds commercial that's on the radio right now. <laughs> Great, <laughs> fantastic. Love that you ripped that off. Um, but I mean, you've kind of gone through this too. You lived in Toronto. You moved back to Durham and in the Whippy area. And um, Matt, um, so I have you've- done this twice for my brother Connor in the last year, and yeah. then for my other brother Kyle. A year and a half ago, but also your own journey. You've lived in Toronto and you've moved back, right? And like yeah. you've kind of gone through this, not just the actual, you know, uh, actual moving part of it, which is just frustrating enough. But I think just the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, the moving part does suck. Yeah, you've done that twice with your two brothers, or even more than that, um, like you mentioned um, with them over the the last, you know, very short period of time. And moving sucks. It is the worst you put all your shit in boxes boxes are everywhere you gotta fucking something's gonna get broken (laughs) yeah it's just it's you you get oh god i got a story and i'll tell it in a second but um it's just it it sucks but it's also very rewarding like i'm in this new house where it's about you know three or four times probably four times bigger than our condo we had in toronto and i'm i'm paying less money um than what uh, like total, because obviously my sister moved in with us. Uh, it's a three bedroom, four bathroom house in, in, uh, uh, Oshawa, um, technically in Oshawa, but literally footsteps from welcome to whippy. Um, I'll just keep saying, that. <laughs> uh, very Put close that on to your land- resume, <laughs> very close to landmark cinemas, which I'm super psyched about. If, um, we ever feel comfortable going back there, uh, a 10 minute drive to your house, Eric, which is super dope. Uh, so, you know, makes it a lot easier for us to record in person and makes it less of a pain in the ass for you. Um, <clears throat> which is, I think a, a huge positive. I think they're, there won't be as much whenever we can get back to recording in person, there won't be as much, uh, let this doesn't work tonight. Cause you know, Eric has to take the train down or this or that, or he can't come down or Matt, I don't want to do it because it's not the right night. And, uh, so I think now it'll be, it, it'll be nice. I have a space where the, you know, the office door can close or we can go down into the media room downstairs. Even maybe I set something up down there, um, where my TV is. And like, we have a space that, you know, we don't have to bother Sarah or Nevis and, and we can kind of, you know, uh, record. And there's, there's so many positives and like having rooms with doors on them instead of sliding glass and like, um, uh, you know, just having space. Like I, I was sitting in the, in the media room in the, on the first floor and Nevis was, you know, watching, the, you know, a naked attraction with my sister. Have you seen this show? No. <laughs> Should what put is it in this? what I, I'll talk about it in the, what I've been watching. I have so many good stories this week from moving. So, um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. You know, I'm, I've never thought I would say that, but, um, I think I valued space and a good home. Um, more than you know being right downtown we were paying so much money for this small 700 square foot condo in toronto and i loved it don't get me wrong like i thought our place was great we were right on queen street for tiff every year it was wonderful just being downtown uh very close to you know uh cinesphere and and scotiabank if i i mean i don't love the scotiabank theater but i love being close to the best imax theater in the area um Stuff like that. So, but you know what? Uh, the trade-off I think is worth it. Like, sure, it's harder for me to see a movie in a Scotiabank IMAX, but you know, Landmark is very close. Where I'm like, do I need to see everything in IMAX? One movie every, you know, 
three years comes out with IMAX footage in it, I'll be okay. And I'll either travel down there to go see it, or there's the one in Vaughn or Mississauga if we have a car, or I'll figure that stuff out. I'm, I'm relating it back to movies for the most part, but I, I'm pretty psyched about it. And who knows when we'll actually even feel comfortable getting back to that stuff, which we will also talk about today. Um, but yeah, dude, I don't know what you want to hear first, but um, I want to hear this story. You have been, yeah. you know, teasing it for the so, last couple of days. It's not much of a big deal, but this, <laughs> so if you guys follow me on Twitter and you've probably seen me be super, super paranoid about having to move my LG OLED TV. Um, it's an expensive, very fragile, uh, wonderful 4k TV. If you can get it for a good price, I think a lot of times you can get them now for, you know, two grand or maybe even less now. Um, I bought mine for a little bit more than that, but, um, I've just been, it's a great TV. Um, and I just like, in all of this move, I've been you know, stressed about everything, but I'm just like, I just want this TV when you're hiring movers and, and, and traveling from, you know, only an hour drive or whatever, 50 minutes. But like, I'm just like, I just don't want to break this, you know, expensive TV and I love it more than anything. Um, so I've been paranoid about it. I've been tweeting about it. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to move this TV? I was going to rent a TV moving bag that had like cushions in it, but I'm like, I don't know. The TV's super fragile. Maybe that means that they'll bend it even more. Um, so I end up, I go, I keep all my boxes to stuff like just for this reason. So I had the the box and everything and I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll pack it up. I have every piece. I'll just take the stand off. I'll pack it back up. That's what these boxes are made for because they have to ship them from you know, wherever they're built and things like that. And, um, hopefully it'll be all right. Um, so I get my dad to come over and he helped me move a few things. And, um, he was kind of making fun of me because I'm like, Hey, you gotta help me put this TV in this box, but you gotta be very careful. You just, you, you gotta be careful. So when we're doing it, I just over and over, you could see how stressed I was about the whole thing. And, um, and people who have this TV know, like, I, again, our, our, um, I had some people tweet me being like, fuck man, that TV, it's like so thin at the top that if you bend it at all, it could fucking break, which is maybe not the best design, but it's a great TV. Um, so I'm like freaking out at my dad saying, be careful, be careful. And he's kind of like yelling at me being like, you need to chill. Like it's fine. Um, and, uh, kind of making fun of me for, uh, this TV. So we ended up putting it in the box. It seemed fine. We taped it up a, a shit ton and I'm like, all right, uh, it's in God's hands now and God being the mover's hands. So, um, I packed that up, packed the sound bar up, you know, it was like, everyone needs to be fucking careful. I don't care about anything in this move. I don't care all my possessions, maybe my Mondo posters, but I took those over like myself. Um, and even then like th that's fine. You get a new frame as long as it just doesn't tear the, the, the print in half. So <laughs> it, it, the movers took it. I'm like, guys, just please be careful with this. They're like, can we stand it up? I'm like, no, you absolutely cannot stand it up. They're like, can we lay it flat? I'm like, no, you got to keep it straight up and be fucking careful with it. Like, just be careful with it. Um, so I was at our condo in Toronto and Nevis was at the place in Oshawa. And um, she will be, su she was supervising them, you know, moving the TV out and all this stuff out and telling them what room to put it in. Um, and I was supervising them at our condo. Um so everything went pretty smoothly at our condo. Uh, the movers, like they quoted me, like, here's the thing with movers and I'll just give people like, this is the first time I've ever used movers and it was wonderful. But, uh, I find you really use references from people and stuff like that because 
uh, this company was great. They had wonder like fantastic reviews everywhere, but they quoted me. They're like, yeah, one bedroom should take, you know, maybe six hours tops, right? Like to move total. Um, but then I'm thinking, okay, you know, probably, you know, two to three hours loading everything up at my place, maybe one to two hours unloading everything because unloading is usually a bit faster than than loading and you don't have to use the elevator constantly at a condo, although there's stairs and stuff at our house. Um, that being said, it, it took them like 10 hours to do this. So when you're paying over $100 an hour, when you think you're going to get everything done in six hours and it ends up being 10 hours total, um, not super great. Um, so I'm fine paying that. Like everyone I talked to, they're like, yeah, I spent like a thousand bucks on movers and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I just would have liked to know that ahead of time instead of learning that as the day went on, like just quote people properly. Like if I call you and they go, Oh, do you have a lot of stuff? Like how much stuff do you have? And like, ask me more questions to be like, okay, well, that's probably going to be, you know, a full day. So that's going to cost you a thousand dollars, which is fine. As long as like in my head, I'm going, okay, I got to spend a thousand dollars on this. And I commit to that beforehand instead of me taking out $800 and going, that's probably fine. Right? Like there's no way it goes over uh, eight hours. Um, but it took them like two hours to over two hours to get from Toronto to Oshawa. And I'm like, even on, and this is my bad. We did it on a Friday. Friday traffic's the worst. I'm a moron, but our elevator was booked on Monday. So I had to move it to Friday and I'm glad I had the whole weekend here. Uh, that being said, everything fine. It just took way longer than I wanted it to. Um, and we're out 1200 bucks, but whatever, uh, that's an adult. And if you want to pay for premium service where I didn't have to take a couch out of my apartment and a bed and a bookshelf and a, a TV unit and put it in an elevator and carry it upstairs, that's what you get. So I'm not too mad about that. Um, but so everything gets unloaded. Nevis is like, oh, your TV's in the in the living room space where you want it. The main floor, they didn't have to take it up any stairs or anything like that, even though they started taking it up the stairs. And she's like, no, 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 guys, first floor. You don't take it here. And um, she told me this after where she's like, they were kind of like holding it by the handles, which I told them not to. And I'm like, it's f- fine. It looks like it's here in one piece. Um, so um it's in the living room and imagine like or the the media room is what i'm calling it and imagine it's like they just put it in the middle of the room like they didn't put it against a wall or anything like that they put it in the middle of the room there's boxes around and stuff like that the couch is on the left side the tv is in the middle and then there's some boxes on the right side um so i'm like okay it looks like it's here it's fine it's in a weird spot but i can't really move it around because there's too much crap around um so they unloaded everything. It took them fucking forever. I have already said that a number of, time, a number of times. Um, I'm settled in with Nevis. We're upstairs and stuff like that. We're trying to figure out what we should unpack first. And I'm like, yeah, I, I probably want to, you know, arrange the media room downstairs, even though I'm going to get a new TV stand and, and uh, stuff like that. Like, but I'll put it on the floor for now or, or something like that. So, She's like, oh, okay. And um, we're upstairs and she's like, I'm going to go get some stuff downstairs or move some stuff around um, and uh, and to clear that room out. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm relaxing right now because I'm exhausted. It's a long day. I'm sitting on our other living room area in the, in the by the kitchen on the second floor. Um, and I'm like, just Nevis, please be careful. The TV is down there. Like it's right in the middle of 
the room, like just, just be careful when you're down there, like the TV, just be careful with the TV as I have annoyed everyone with throughout this entire move. Um, and <laughs> I'm sitting upstairs and, you know, five minutes pass. And then all I hear is a thump and then no. And I, you sound like a, a woman Nevis scream. No. And I'm like, oh my god! So you're thinking I, it's the TV right away, right? Like yes, thinking, of yeah. course. And then so like, I'm like, oh no! It's I literally am. That's all I've not. I haven't shut up about this, and we got it here. And then I get downstairs, and um, she not fully knocked the TV over in the box, um, and she was like, I was like, obviously very like, I, I'm like, like like obviously emotions were very very high at that moment um not even like in a we were like i was mad at her per se or anything like that but like i was like fucking it's the one thing i didn't shut up about and i even said it five minutes ago that like be careful and she was very very upset and i was upset that it happened but i'm like okay we just we both need to calm down right now i know it fully fell over the couch kind of blocked it but then the tv fully fell onto the couch in the box um so obviously she's very upset obviously it wasn't intentional or anything like that obviously i'm very upset because i think my tv might be broken um so i try to just take a moment to like compose and be like okay we just need to see if this tv is okay (laughs) Like, that's all we need to do. Uh, like, it's like the one thing that I was worried about. And now this happens. So I was like, we just both need to calm down and we need to like do this right now. And I, I need your help and we need to open this box and see if this TV is okay. Um, so that expedited that. And um, I'm like, it might be fine. That's why we packed it really well. Um I didn't want it like, again, it's, I was mad at the moment, not necessarily mad that, you know, why the fuck did you do this? But like more so mad that like, it's the one thing I, I was like told everyone to be careful with. And of course this fucking happened. Um, so I was just worried cause I heard stories from, um, people like, um, uh, that, you know, they're in their transit, like the lightest bump because the TV is so fragile. And like, again, maybe not the great design, a greatest design from LG, a great TV. But if your movies, your TV is that fragile, maybe let's not make it. People want thinness, but then with that takes, you know, it's so fragile. So anyways, unpack it from the box. Looks okay. Uh, like as we got it out, we were very careful. My sister came down, emotions calmed down. Everyone was okay. I was like, let's Nevis. I'm not mad. I just want to see if this TV is okay. Um, that's all. And if it's not, it is what it is. We'll figure it out. It's just a TV. Um, so, uh, I was still very worried, but we took it out and it looked okay. And I was like, okay, let's try to plug it in. And it was, thank God, fine. So, um, so far, um, but I don't know. It was just one of those things where, um, of course, like that's all I haven't shut up about. I've tweeted about it. I've told every person that's come into contact with it. And of course the TV fully falls over. I think I'm also lucky that the glass, like the front panel was facing Nevis. So when she bumped it, it was the back of the TV that kind of fell over. Um, at the time I didn't know that I just was like, fucking, how did this TV tip over? I just, um, so anyways, that's my story. The LG did survive. I sent a photo out on Twitter, um, the other day. Um, and maybe it's an underwhelming story, but for someone who was like so paranoid about 
this TV. I'm like, of course it fully falls over and, um, but it survived. So, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and worried about transporting their TV, if you pack it super well in the box that it came in and you kept all the styrofoam and everything, um, it pads it pretty well. I mean, they're, they're built to ship that, you know, across the world to multiple different places. So, um, I think that's probably your best bet to transport this TV because it did survive a little tipping incident. Um, so that was my story, man, but it's alive. It's here. Murphy's law, man. Murphy's law. Murph. Um, so that was that, uh, what else? A naked attraction. Um, we can get into what we've been watching. Um, Eric, I don't know if you know about this show, but it is a British show or English show um, where it's a dating show where you pick the person based on their naked body. (laughs) So great. um, It sounds very like, but here's the thing. Like I'm telling everyone, like it's on out TV here. Um, and so the show starts and they're like, okay, uh, they introduce you kind of your classic dating show thing. Like this is the person that's going to be on the show. This is who they are. This is what they like to do. Um, uh, you, you know, classic stuff. And then they come out and the person who is on the show is clothed and they're standing with the host taking this very, very seriously. And um, the people come out and you only see like they're, gl- they're in these glass, like almost imagine like a, these glass cylinder kind of things or, or like standees where you're like viewing each person in like a, and they have a l- colored light behind them. And um, the first round, they only show you their lower half. So you see either their penis or their vagina. And the first round, you only see penis or vagina. You can spin around and see their butts. Um, and then you choose to eliminate one person just based on that. And then the next round, you get to see their torso and their upper half. So you no head yet, though. Um, no well, physical. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, yes, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, there is. You do see a head sometimes, but not their with a yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, the head so, on their shoulders. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. And then you eliminate another person based on that. Then you see their face without them talking. You eliminate another person. And then they get to ask them a question the next round. You eliminate the last person. And then you're left with one person. And then you go on a date. Oh, sorry. And then that the person who is on the show comes out naked for the last round. So everyone's naked in the last round except for the host. Um, and then you choose who you want to go on the date with. And then they go on a clothed date at the end. <laughs> and it is like it's all my sister and Nevis have been watching. And I was at first going like I've heard of this show because I heard another podcast. I think it might have been kind of funny or someone else talk about it that one of their trips when they went over to, you know, the UK, it was on. Um, I didn't know it was available here. And now I've finally seen it. And I will give the show a, a shout out because like it's fascinating to watch because you just see a bunch of wangs and vaginas and 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 oh boobs you actually see it like, like it's not censored no it's full on man like there's nothing censored about it and it's the most penis I've ever seen in my life and the most vagina I've ever seen in my life and I'm sorry if this is very crass to people but what I want to say is that the show is actually very progressive and body positive so for a show that on paper or how I'm explaining it goes oh you're just judging people based on their bodies and that's how you're going to go on a date with them um, the show actually showcases the most 
uh, regular or normal looking bodies I've ever seen on something like this, right? Like if this was an American show on like, you know, I don't know, they couldn't do it on MTV or something like that, but like whatever network H not even HBO somewhere that could just do this, but it would be like, you know, everyone's got giant porn dicks and are, are ripped and like, and stuff like that are perfect, um, you know, kept bodies and stuff like that, where this show, I was always amazed where, uh, everyone looked like they obviously had guys with giant dicks and, 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 and things like that and, and totally ripped. But there were tons of people who just looked like, you know, Joe Schmo, regular penis, you know, whether it was circumcised or uncircumcised or just small or big or literally very micro tiny. And like, kept I was amazed. Kept kept dry, yeah. And like, and uh, for the female side of things too, just like a varied a range of, of body types and, and men and women of body types. And then when it came to their private parts, just like, just like the men, just a varying different array of like uh, different people. And I, I was like, Oh, this is actually kind of cool. And they give you like, you know, throughout the show, they inter inter splice, like, you know, factoids and stuff about, you know, it's very sex positive and like talk about, you know, what, percentage of women like you know this or uh, or that or you know this is very normal like these things that you see in porn and movies and stuff like that isn't necessarily normal and most women are okay with this or most men like this or this is why men like this and like i was always fascinated like they had um there's a guy with you know prosthetic legs or a guy in a wheelchair who was in the episode and stuff like that and like um i was just always constantly because they've been binging this show and they're just fascinated to see all these naked bodies and who people choose and um I just thought it was way more progressive than it sounds on paper. And I actually like as stupid as it is talking about this show and, and how funny it is at first glance when you're like, I watch this dating show where you just look at a bunch of wangs and like you choose which wang you want. Um, and it's, it's actually, it's not like, it's a pretty simple show. It's a dating show, but um, I do want to give a shout out that I'm like, Oh, these bodies look like normal bodies people and um i'm amazed that you know these people just were like yeah i'll go on this show i don't know how much they pay or anything and like um but it was, it was fascinating so out tv <laughs> um naked attraction it's my must watch of the week everyone can go uh go watch so it's funny because like i've been we've been unpacking stuff and they've just had that on constantly in the living room so i'm fucking eating my junior chicken from mcdonald's and there's just this uh you know giant bush on the tv or like would it be amazing <laughs> if one of the guests was eating a junior chicken as like this window was coming up as as you saw more of them it's like hey it's very it's both funny fascinating and just kind of like cool so it, it does sound superficial when you first describe it, but then once you get into more detail, like it does sound like, as you said, a more progressive version of the dating show, the Chuck Barris uh, mm -hmm. uh, novelty show from the 1960s. Um, it's also weird because like you look at programming in the UK versus um, America and how much more open they are with gender and sexuality and body type um it, sometimes for the positive and sometimes for uh the negative the, the the show that you were kind of initially describing to me almost sounded like that there's another show um i don't know if it's still on anymore but it's called sex box 
Right. And what it is, is uh, two people go into a box that has tinted win- windows so you can't see anything, but they have sex. And then they come out to the studio audience and the host afterwards and sit down and talk about it. And it's one of the most excruciating and awkward things ever because it's based on like also like how long you're in there. So right. like if somebody's in there for like two minutes, they talk about like, oh, why were you in there for two minutes in graphic detail with like a studio audience? Like it's like it becomes, you know, who wants to be a millionaire with like this huge studio audience watching as these people are talking about what just occurred in the sex box. Yeah, it's not quite that on this, but I see where you're coming from. Um, but it's, I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. I really suggest people like check it out, and you probably um, uh, will find yourself just I don't know. At least we were just continuously watching it. But um, yeah, I, I applaud them for you know um, something that would be so horny if it was on in America or North America is just very normal or it feels very normal. And I'm sure they have their, like, it is obviously a horny show. You're judging people based on, you know, uh, their nakedness, but they pitch it more as like, you're bearing all, like you have nothing to hide. This is, you, why not just get this out of the way? And this is our naked, my naked body. And like, then we'll go on the actual date after and, and stuff like that. So it's not a super horny show, where I feel like if it was here on here or the American version of it would be super horny and it would be kind of more, there would be more objectification and, and it would be sleazier uh, or something. I don't know. Like, like I could see it playing on like MTV or VH1 back in the early two thousands. If that was a show that that came out now or whatever the equivalent of, of, cause I don't even know anymore because I don't have network television. Like what channel that would be on? Like would Fox, still play something yeah, like that. I guess that. but it would be all censored or something or would yeah. it be like a show that's on at midnight on like a city TV or something like which is probably what this is right now I'm assuming. I don't know or yeah. out TV is a pretty obviously progressive channel where they probably air this at any time but um yeah and that's the other thing with moving moving on to the next thing is like I got a new cable and TV package I was excited about so I have like you know a, a TV box again and cable and like it's through bell. So it's like five. So it's like still internet based sort of, but um, yeah, I got like 1.5 gigabytes a second internet, which is the best internet I've ever had um, as well as like a TV package kind of thing. So I was pretty psyched about that. So I don't have to like stream everything. I can just watch the hockey game. Eric, unbelievable hockey game the other night too. Uh, it's been a whirlwind like couple, a little while. I was texting your brother, Kyle. Um, Kyle, Eric's brother is a big Boston Bruins fan, uh, arch nemesis of the Toronto Maple Leafs and other teams. But right now I think the Bruins are probably our biggest rival just because they fucked us so many times. Um, yes. And they will continue so, to, let's just probably. be honest. Yeah, I know. Um, so big big game five tonight. It's a weird year. So it's a best of five series for the first round of or the qualifying round of the playoffs. So the Leafs are playing the Columbus Blue Jackets and I can watch it on my Bell 5. No streaming anymore. I can just watch it on there. Um, and I was watching the game. It was an elimination game. The Leafs were up 3 nothing in game two, three. Uh, blue... Blew that lead, lost 4-3 to go down 2-1 in the series. Uh, Blew a 3-0 lead. So then they were um, playing Columbus elimination game. If they lost, they would have gotten eliminated. 
and um, it was three nothing with four minutes left. And I was texting your brother and other people. I was tweeting. I'm like, I fucking hate being a Leafs fan. It's the worst. I hate that I like this team. It sucks. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, perfect timing. Nevis came down and sat down. She was texting me like, oh, don't worry. They'll come back. You know, like she's super wonderful. And I'm, I'm the cynical Leafs fan and I was ready. You know, everyone's given up. We're like, there's four minutes left. We're down three, nothing this we're screwed. Um, the Leafs fucking scored three goals in the last four minutes with all with empty net. So they pull their goalie so they can get another person on the ice and they score three goals with an empty net. Columbus literally when it was like three, two, um, had a guy going down and he shot the puck and it literally missed the net by like a, a an inch and got stuck in the plastic beside the net or else he they that would have been game over but the Leafs tied it up 3-3 and then it went to overtime and they won in overtime which Eric this is incredible I was your brother was laughing and, and messaging me back and forth because this is something the Leafs do all the time but they never have it like it never goes the other way like we're the ones that always blow the three goal lead at the last second like that's famously with the Boston Bruins we were up 4-1 with like three minutes left to eliminate them and they came back and won that was like six or seven years ago um so they came back and they won in overtime and it was one of the greatest comebacks in Toronto Maple Leaf history. And I just wanted to get that off my chest too. It was incredible. Now, was that more anxiety ridden than the moving of the TV or was the game uh, more of a, no, it, at least to begin with? Yeah, I, I I think less because as a Leaf fan, you've just come to expect the worst all the time. So it's just like when they were down three, nothing, you're not even like, you're not mad. You're just like, you are mad, but you're just like, yeah, okay. This sounds about right. Like fucking, of course they're going to get eliminated. And then when they started coming back, it's not anxiety ridden because even if they were going to lose, I'm like, they, I already thought they were going to lose. So who cares now? Like we got nothing to lose. Like I thought they were going to get eliminated. So, um, if they come back and lose now, I'm like, all right, I already had that mindset in my head that they were eliminated. So whatever happens, happens now tonight is a different story with game five, who winner goes home one best of one game. This will be anxiety ridden because now they have a shot again of making it to the next round. And but now you don't this- want to get your hopes up, yeah, right? Exactly. But yeah. it's a weird Frankenstein season as well because of everything going on. So there's no crowd, um, they let 24 teams in the playoffs when there's usually 16, which is why there's this weird qualifying round. Um, but I've, it, I mean, talking about it, it's still content and still things I've been watching. So I, I can talk about it, but um, it's been weird watching it, but not as weird as I thought. Like, I think the NHL and the NBA are doing a really great job with their bubbles and, and, and making sure that, you know, all their players and, and, and personnel are safe and getting tested frequently and making sure you're not leaving the bubble. They've almost built their own quarantine zone. And then they're playing in these hub cities, one in Toronto and one in Edmonton, at least in the NHL's case. Um, and they are, um, and they're playing in front of no fans. And like, I thought it would be weird, but you kind of get into the game and you don't notice it so much. And they have like ambient like crowd noise in the background to make it not seem weird and, and dead silent. It's um, not stuffed animals though, right? No, they didn't do any of that stuff. They got like a, you know, a nice stage set up and like, um, it looks good on TV. Um, cause it still looks like hockey on TV, You're, but you do miss some of that, you know, 
any live audience, you're going to miss some of that uh, feeding off that crowd, right? Like imagine that comeback that I just described, but if it was at Scotiabank Arena with Leaf fans, right? Or or something like that, or Columbus fans. He, he, in the before it, times. Yeah, in the before times. Like imagine how, how wild people would get. So um, I do miss that, but I am excited that hockey's back because I don't think I've talked about it since we recorded last. So. And hockey in the summer um, too, right? Like yeah, that's- which is very weird. Yeah, yeah. Like hockey in August, which is which is wild. And um, we're usually prepping for the next season right now. And like when TIFF starts, just a whole nother story. I think I've already mentioned it. Go watch, listen to our last episode, but. Um, I'm usually it's like Leafs preseason during TIFF and you're getting started for the new season. So for the playoffs to be happening in the summer when it's hot as hell out and and stuff like that is, is very, very weird. But um, it's exciting. It, it gives me something else to watch, too, because I've been in a weird you know mindset of prepping for this move and everything going on. I've, I've struggled to figure out what I want to watch now that Nevis and I have finished the MCU again. So when you, I, I really love, again, I love it because you just know, you don't have to think about what you're going to watch tonight because we just have this 22 movie franchise and we're like, let's watch the next one. Um, so we've moved on to, I'll keep going and I'll let you talk in a second because I've talked a lot. Well, I wanted to ask it. you one more thing about yeah, the, the, the Leafs game. Um, is this the first season without uh, gay icon, the Babadook uh, as the coach? Uh, yeah, um, Mike uh, Babadook Babcock um, got fired earlier this season. So this technically was still the season where Mike Babcock got fired, but this is the playoffs for that season. So um, Sheldon uh, Keefe, um, Nevis says Sheldon Queef. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so is their coach now? <laughs> yeah. So um, Sheldon Keefe is their coach now. So he was the coach of their um, their the Marlies before, and he's been in the organization for a long time. So yeah, Mike Babadook is out. Sheldon Queef is in. Um, so <laughs> so it's been an interesting year. This year, I, this year feels like a hundred years put into one, dude. Like and I know everyone's it's been in the exhausting. Same boat. It's I been know exhausting everyone's in the same and, boat. Just with all the changes, yeah. just in my life too, and just like um, with not was supposed to get married, not getting married, trips getting canceled, moving, um, the job stuff with Nevis, and um, uh, just everything. Working from home, obviously everyone's in the same boat. But it's just like. I've this move this weekend, even though I didn't physically move everything myself, I was just like sitting here and this has actually been uh, rejuvenating actually talking to you because we've recorded two reviews before this. Please go check out our reviews for she dies tomorrow and um, an American pickle. And we weren't even going to record this episode. I barely even prepped it, but I was like talking to you and I'm like, no, okay, I'm in a good mood now. And I want to keep going. Cause like I was so drained earlier of just like, you know, unpacking boxes and, we haven't had groceries. I've been eating out all the time the last couple of weeks. And I've just felt like kind of, you know, crappy and we haven't recorded and I hate not recording for, you know, weeks at a time, but then it's hard to get back into it where I'm like, ah, fuck, I got to go sit at a, not that I, I, I do obviously love talking to you, but it's like getting the process of like, I got to go set up the office. I got to talk and review movies critically. I'm like, I'm not even in the right mindset. Do I have anything to say about those movies right now? And then um, 
once you get going though, I think it's, it's my favorite thing and it, it has rejuvenated me. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that point, but no, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I feel like that on a weekly basis where like, so my routine is, uh, Thursday mornings, I usually record my voiceovers for, um, for Rogers to, you know, I, I write my reviews on usually Tuesday to Wednesday, and then I record Thursday morning and Thursday morning is the morning I dread the most because, um, I, when I record my, uh, voiceovers, um, I'm a perfectionist. So like I have to read it through perfectly. And this takes me like half an hour to an hour to get, you know, to a, not only a rhythm to find that rhythm, but to get it down to two to three minutes and make it all flow. Because you have to also think when you're, you're, when you're writing, you're writing, you know, not just on the page, you're writing to actually speak it. It's a dialogue, right? So it sounds different when you're, when you're actually rehearsing it. So you have to practice that way as well. And then just like, you know, depending uh, on how many times you do it, your throat gets parched or scratchy and it might sound off. So if you're obsessive compulsive in, in, in any manner, it becomes like this frustrating ordeal to kind of get it all down. And then, you know, when something is kind of introduced that's new to the routine that kind of throws you off a little bit as well, especially when it comes to, you know, like this week, we've got a, a, a busy week. Um, we'll talk about it probably more at the end of the show, but we'll be interviewing somebody on, on Tuesday and we're really excited about it. But at the same time, like if this is our kind of first, this is our first official interview. And um, so it's kind of set the standard of what, uh, you know, a, in conversation will be with somebody. So there's those things as well. And, and, and I agree with you where it's like, I love doing this and I love recording, but when you take a break, even if it's just for a week, it feels like such a long time that you don't want to even get back to it after a while. Or you just keep putting it off because you're like, uh, I don't want to have to think about setting up. And especially on your end, cause you're doing all the recording. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. Yeah, I I totally feel you. But then once you get going, it definitely feels um feels great. And I, I mean there are, we have our you know, our good sessions and bad sessions in the sense of like um feeling tired or um or we're into it or not into it. There have been many times where like, yeah, let's record this other thing another time because let's get these out of the way. But when you don't do it for a while and they get, it's like riding a bike, I guess it's just the cliche, but, um, when, would I you try I, to get Arby's to sponsor us too? Oh God, that would we're be both wonderful. Now in Durham, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's a good jumping off point too. You mentioned like, yeah, we are doing our first, you know, uh, untitled movie conversation is what we're going to call it this week. Um, which will be a third show. Um, which is, I mean, I, I, we keep adding more work on, to our <laughs> plates while we're trying to do other full-time jobs and things like that. But I'm excited for it. And it's something I haven't done in a while, but I love talking to you and I love talking to other people, obviously. So I think it, it should be fun to start bringing in other people into, you know, our little uh, kind of bubble here because we've always wanted to have guests come on the show. And and we have had, you know, you know our friend Ben Shane came on for, uh, you know, Star Wars or uh, uh, Nevis would come on once in a while to to talk about stuff. But well, for last um, Christmas, I mean, she played a key role in reviewing yeah. that movie. Um, but we've always tried to keep it me and you for you know the main stuff, and and then but we have always wanted to bring in people, and I think it's making it a little bit easier in this. It, we've always were adamant on recording in person, um, 
when we got started again, because we liked, you know, the rapport we were getting in person. But I think we, everyone has had to kind of pivot to obviously recording online. And um, I think we found a way better way than what we used to do. Um, obviously, back in the movie monarchy days when things like Zencaster weren't available yet, or maybe they yeah, it was were, all on but, Skype, right? Yeah, and it was so hard to kind of do it properly, and it was so manual, and 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 we have visual cues because Eric and I will go on video together and and things like that. But now I feel like people are learning and adapting, and and I think we'll make interviews and conversations much more interesting when it comes to the podcast world because you can have access to anyone, and everyone's learning how to do these things very very easily. Where people didn't want to necessarily go on a video call and talk to someone about something, they wanted to do it in person. But I think we're we've done it for five for half a fucking year almost now that I think people are getting pretty good at it and pretty comfortable with it. So it should open up, you know, even if Eric and I get together to do the main shows together, um, it should open up a lot of avenues where we can bring in tons of, you know, friends of the show and people in the industry and, and, um, and things like that and have cool conversations with them. And how we're thinking about doing that is, you know, bringing someone on for a very specific reason. Um, there'll be a big topic we talk about, which is the reason we bring that person onto the show, but it'll just be an extension of this show. Basically like we'll bring the, it'll be shorter. It'll be closer to the length probably of, uh, of untitled movie reviews. But that being said, Eric made a great point when we were talking off offline saying like, we're not going to, depending on how much time people give us, we'll either go for 15 minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. It really just depends. And if people want to continue talking, we're not going to cut them off and we're going to try to give you guys a cool, interesting conversation. So that show might fluctuate in length. Um, and we'll see what kind of guests we get. Like, uh, I think our first guest is awesome. We'll, uh, reveal that very, very soon. Um, I don't want to say anything quite yet, but, um, no, we, we think- should wait until it's done. Like, I think that's when we can yeah. say like, Oh, we did this, you know, like yeah. knock on wood kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. Cause you never know. Right. Um, uh, they are a b- busy person. So we're just making sure we can, um, get some time with them and, um, and it should be a fun combo. And then we have a couple other people lined up that are already interested. So, um, who know? we don't know how often we'll do it. It'll probably be more like reviews again, where we're going to try to do it pretty consistently. Um, but it really depends on who we can get access to and what makes the most sense for us, especially we're two guys now doing three different podcasts. Um, yeah. so, uh, it, I'm, but I'm excited. We, we should have a, a cool lineup and this will be a very array of people. It'll be people who are just friends with us in the film community in Toronto. Uh, there might be directors, there might be actors, there might be someone just in the industry. There might be someone not in the industry that we just want to bring in to talk about movies and stuff like that. So, um, it's not just going to be purely, it's still going to be conversational. It's still going to be very lax. It's not necessarily, unless we decide to start, you know, doing junkets again and, and bringing those, um, snippets into that show, who knows, but that's not how we're envisioning it. We're envisioning it as like literally just a conversation, like Eric and I talking to each other with whoever jumps on to be that third wheel. So, um, I'm, I'm excited. It should be fun. So there's a little, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. And, and like you said, Matt, like <clears throat> it's not just limited to people that are, you know, in the filmmaking community. It's also, you know, our fellow colleagues and people of interest that might have 
a perspective on you know film and television and streaming that we might not have even thought of so you know we're 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 welcome to anybody getting in touch with us who is listening or who knows anybody that might want to you know have a conversation that again is going to be more organic and free flowing and just to talk like it's not just going to be pointed question and answers back and forth it's like how we do this sort of show now where it's two of us talking and having a dialogue about movies and filmmaking and the industry itself and yeah it'll be specific to or tailored to their profession or their interests and maybe even timely based on what time you know the season and what's going on uh at the moment but you know we're we're very excited to open it up to anybody that that is interested and and you know Get, please get in touch with us. Just let us know, you know. A hundred percent. I'm bringing that back. Um, <clears throat> all right. I can uh, – let's move on to what we've been watching. Eric, I've talked a lot. What have, what have you been watching the last little while? Well, Matt, I want to actually recommend um, – because I've I've watched a lot and and you can go on my letterbox at EM6211 and see that everything I, I've, I've been watching lately. And I'll go through a couple of things. Um but go to rogercv.com slash cinema scene and check out my reviews for, you know, She Dies Tomorrow, I Used to Go Here, um, a number of other movies that I've been reviewing. So, like, if you want to hear my two to three minutes reviews for those, they're they're there, they're ready to go. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was I've been listening to the Roger Deakins podcast. Um, it's quite been a good bit recently. I've wanted to. It is. Okay. So my, my only complaint with the show is you do not want to listen to it if you're tired because Roger oh, Deakins yeah. and James Deakins, his wife, a soothing. have the most soothing sort of, you know, like they put you to sleep, but not in like a mundane, boring way, but it's such, such a, they have a calming voice. They're like, they're like green tea or chamomile, you know, like they're, they're that of the, the, the vocal range, but right. the, the, their, the episode specifically I want to recommend is the one with Joel Cohen. They spent a good 45 minutes to an hour talking to Joel Cohen, who, if you've read anything academia related or interviews from the past, he, him and Ethan Cohen have always been very kind of closed off. They're a bit of a enigma when it comes to sort of scratching the surface and finding out what makes them tick as individuals and as, you know, a duo. But this interview with Roger Deakins and James Deakins, you got so much insight into what makes Joel Cohen Joel Cohen as a filmmaker, as a personality, um, his dry wit and sardonic humor is is all there. And I felt for the first time ever that I was getting like an inside glimpse into the mind of the Cohen, of a Cohen brother. I mean, the only thing that they don't really talk about is why him and Ethan aren't working together on the tragedy of Macbeth, which they're starting to shoot again shortly with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Um, but he talked a lot about, you know, working in the industry specifically about how, you know, this is nothing new, but how in, when he got started, he was looking at horror movies specifically and how him and uh, Ethan and Sam Raimi were friends and how they worked on the evil dead. And they looked at horror as a stepping stone into the industry and how they got blood, simple uh, finance and how they wanted directors cut right away and made sure that like when they got into the studio system with raising Arizona um, through with Fox, that, 
they would still have control over the movie because their films were made for under $20 million um, and things like that. So they would never be bothered by, you know, the studio execs or what have you. And then like, there's great little anecdotes where like Joel Cohen was talking to uh, the governor of Texas after a screening of blood simple. And the movie he was describing was uh, the man who wasn't there, which is a black and white film with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And the way, <laughs> so the governor asked like, Oh, I'm, I really love blood simple. What are you working on right now? And Joel Cohen's like, I'm, I'm making a movie about a hair, uh, cutter a hairdresser who wants to become a dry cleaner and the governor and the governor uh, of texas response was i'm trying really hard to be excited about that <laughs> and it's just hearing those stories that kind of like it inspired you just as not only a creative person but somebody that's a fan of their work and having read numerous you know tomes and books and and everything about those guys i've never felt that i've really gotten a complete inside look with the exception of just like the their, the films themselves this was truly the first time that this was you know getting a little bit of a glimpse to what these guys are like as as people and i thought it was absolutely fascinating and really interesting and even what they had what joel had to say about um you know, Netflix and how he's still very much on the sort of film side of things. And, but he understands like, you know, some, um, you know, series, whether they be doc series, like the last dance are interesting because you have a compelling person, but if you extend something for so long, you can kind of beat a dead horse, so to speak. So he's still very much pro, you know, seeing a movie in the theater, but at the same time, he's not like Christopher Nolan where it's like, it has to be there. Um, and, and how they shoot, that, that was the other thing. Like if you're a filmmaker or, you know, you have an interest in editing specifically, I would highly recommend this because he talks about editing in such a specific manner and how they shoot. They, they don't shoot a lot. They shoot what they need and how they kind of basically make the film in post-production. You know, they, they, they watch and listen to the footage that they have, which I thought was uh, fascinating. And, and there's a bunch of other, um, uh, interviews that the Deacons have done uh, recently with Denny Villeneuve, which is is a great one. Uh, Greg Frazier, who's the cinematographer on the uh, the the Batman. So um, if you're looking for, I mean, obviously he does. They don't need the plug, but um, if you are looking for uh, an insightful filmmaking and just a historical kind of reference podcast, I would highly recommend this because it is such a joy to listen to, and you get so much out of it experiencing from people that are in the industry currently and are open to talk to Roger Deakins and James Deakins because they're also industry people, right? Like they're not putting up a wall, uh, you know, and having these conversations and you're not getting those kind of media rehearsed answers. Yeah. I, I, that sounds awesome. Cause I've had it on my queue for a while. Um, but again, with everything I have it, I'm subscribed and I see it sitting there, but um I've just been so busy with stuff, but podcasts are a good thing, but I just get so stuck into like, I got to expand my podcast that I listen to as well. Cause I feel like I, I love the kind of funny dudes, but they put out so much stuff that it almost consumes me where like they put yeah. out, you know, two or three things a day where I'm like, Oh, I don't really have to listen to any other, uh, you know, podcast cause they put out so much stuff. So I'm, I'm constantly listening to their stuff and like, there are certain podcasts with them. I'm so familiar with them and I like their stuff that I can throw their stuff on at any time is almost like background stuff or just kind of 
on YouTube or, or something like that, where those interviews with deacons, I'm like, oh, I actually want to sit down and try to listen uh, to them. And- yeah, and absorb and retain it. Like I get it where like you're listening to the kind of funny guys where some of it you are, you, you're very attentive, uh, attentive, but at the same time, it's like it's almost like background noise or something that's just kind of like, you know, to it's enjoy. Comforting. It's just in- like, yeah. yeah. And like yeah, and, and, I sit on YouTube and I, I I watch it and don't pay it and like just pay attention to it. But I, I yeah, you're nailing it. Yeah, and I'm like that with with Film Junk. And then the other podcast that I would recommend listening to that's kind of in the same milieu is um, Best Movies Never Made, which I've talked about, I think, before on the show. But recently they had an interview uh, via uh, Zoom um, with uh, Vincenzo Natelli, the director of Splice and Cube. And it's a two-part interview. Uh, the hosts, uh, Steve Scarlotta and uh, Jason Miller, who's the co-writer of Sonic the Hedgehog, um, they talk about uh, the, 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 the gist of the show is movies that could not get made and the people that tried to make them. So Vincenzo Natelli talks about his version of High Rise that um, he was trying to make since the late – 90s early 2000s the not the ben wheatley one that would ultimately become the the film that we know but he talked about his version and all the other movies that he was trying to make after cube became kind of a success and those stories are fascinating because he was working with richard stanley on writing a script for or adapting jg ballard's uh high rise and richard stanley for a lot of people you know directed Dust Devil and Hardware and uh, Colorado Space, the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Nicolas Cage freakout movie that's that was released this year. But his stories were fascinating as well. And especially considering like, you know, how many films and projects he pitched and has been turned down and how his career has kind of been more successful in the TV world because he's kind of now known is like a go-to, you know, uh, cable guy. Like he's directed multiple episodes of Hannibal, uh, Westworld. Um, and it was just fascinating seeing it from kind of a local perspective of like how someone had kind of a little bit of success with cube, even though it never became a big, big hit, but it still kind of traveled outside of Canada. And then afterwards, like the movie that he got, to make was splice but that didn't happen until i think it was 2013 and that played at sundance and then joel silver at warner brothers picks it up which was like this weird thing because joel silver at warner brothers was a guy who's you know responsible for die hard and yeah. lethal weapon right so like why is he picking up this horror movie even though he had the dark ca- castle franchise that released the remake of 13 ghosts and ghost ship and things like that but it was just interesting hearing that story where like you have so many projects in the works and every time you go to pitch somebody, they're like, yeah, there's no money in this or we're going to reject you. Like those are the stories that are depressing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But it's worth listening to because it's actually very, again, insightful and honest. And it kind of makes you feel a little bit better that like guy, like he is successful. Vincenzo Natelli has had success, but not in film necessarily. He's more of a, again, a TV guy. So it just makes you feel better about yourself, but also like getting an idea of what goes into pitching a project. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Like Eric, I won't go over everything that I've watched. Um, yeah. We'll plug our letterbox. Go uh, see his at EM6211 or me at Matt Rohrbeck. You can see everything I've been watching. I haven't been watching much. Uh, Nevis and I jumped over to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies because she, um, hadn't seen them. So those that's fun going back to those. And then we've been going through some Pixar stuff and I keep going with Nolan and, 
and um, I'm behind on my uh, Miyazaki stuff. But I also watched What About Bob for the first time, which I thought was <laughs> not great. But um, really, I, yeah. I kind of enjoyed that. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, I, I remember up, really but... liking bill murray's performance specifically it actually won me over by the end um to be fair like i thought it was a little mean-spirited at first um and then as the movie goes along but then it kind of lost me at the end i thought it was going one way um and then i'm like wait are they just making fun of him and are you laughing at him and not it's not like kind of a sympathetic like hey this guy actually you know we should kind of feel bad for him and and like i don't know i'm like does this movie want me like is it just a straight comedy and then i'm like uh, it's, it goes back to those things where we talk about like making fun of people with handicaps um not handicaps but like uh, I'd probably well, he, he's the, mentally like, ill yeah. and, he, and he's also a hypochondriac yeah. right like that's so i just feel like some of it is played for laughs and then i thought it was going with a way where it's like oh his family are the ones that are trying to show richard dreyfus that like we should accept him for who he is and like it, he's just a super like he's a super sweet guy and things like that and then the movie just gets so zany and ridiculous by the end and that i just never I think it's a product of its time. And maybe if I grew up with it or watched it back then, like maybe I would, that's like Nevis has an attachment to it for that way. But me watching it for the first time as a 31 year old in 2020, I'm like, I love Bill Murray, but I'm just like, I may be being overly critical with this movie, but I just, I, I thought it would like, it started off really rough where I'm like, ah oh, man, like, I just don't know if this really works and like our holds up today and then i was like oh, okay if this is where they're going with it this is interesting like are they kind of having a some sort of commentary on on this and and him and i'm like oh no they're not it's just richard dreyfus is trying to murder him now and blow him up or something and like i'm like right okay that's that's not where i wanted this movie to go like you're not saying anything by the end of it because of that you're just going look who's the crazy guy now who's crazy it's richard dreyfus he's the crazy one and you're like uh, this is kind of gross well, i i think i i kind of i i see where you're coming from but i also do feel that it is coming from a place of you know karma's a bitch sure. so to speak right I don't where the idea that, that richard dreyfus character is such a horrible person and he yeah. doesn't care about bill murray to the extent that maybe he should that everything that he does to kind of ruin or sabotage bill bill murray or have him sort of taken away blows up back in 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 richard dreyfus's character's face and that kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a american pickle as well where you know the one rogan uh ben anytime he tries to sabotage herschel it comes back in his and blows up in his face and i think that's kind of what the story is but i understand where you're coming from where there's probably a lot of stuff in it looking back now i mean being an early 90s movie where it's not as pc and you know it's going more for the sight gag than anything else i don't think it's necessarily mean-spirited in, in like a direct like oh we yeah, have to yeah. be cruel to the person but it's almost maybe more so ignorant yes. um than anything else Where like i like the visual of Bill Murray being sort of strapped to the the the, the sailboat and him sure, like saying yeah. I'm sailing because it's his performance. But when you think of the context of you know like 
what is going on. It's, it's there is something that is kind of disturbing yeah. and weird, right? That's what I kept saying to Nevis. I'm like, I, this is kind of fucked up. This whole thing, <laughs> and like but that happens with movies that you yeah. love growing up with. We've talked about this with Ace Ventura too. Yeah, right? Oh, totally. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Ace Ventura is a movie we we did grow up with. We both did. Where if I watched that loved, today and didn't watch it back then, I'd be like, it is super whoa, transphobic. Whoa, yeah. yikes! <laughs> like, like I, I and I, I think that's I, I, I definitely understand that. So where I would defend Ace Ventura and be like, yeah, it's sure. Let's forget about that part and then like go back to the rest of the movie. And you're like, well, even the sequence at 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 the uh, the mental hospital, right? Like you wonder about that. Yes, absolutely. You're 100 percent correct. But I'm more lenient towards Ace Ventura because I grew up with it, probably right. Where I could see the same thing with What About Bob? Where I and I'm not saying everything should be, you know. PC and you can't do anything that doesn't hold up today. I just think when you're watching it today and you hadn't seen it back then, then you kind of judge it with those, with that lens. So um, yeah. What about Bob? I didn't hate it by any means. I just, I think I, um, I just felt a little icky at times, but um, I think that's understandable just based on, you know, the, the time gap and things like that. Um all right, well, let's move on to uh, Recos to uh, Watch at Home, Staying at Home, which the section we should really probably change because um, everyone is that. Uh, quickly for me in 4K on um, – actually, first, not in 4K. Please go check out our review of She Dies Tomorrow. Um, a deal of the week there. That movie recently just came out, and it's $10 on iTunes to purchase. So um, go do that. That's excellent. Um, uh, birds of prey is $10. Um, serenity is 10. Oh, sorry. No, I thought it was, um, I thought it was the Matthew McConaughey fish movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so you're thinking about the Joss Whedon movie. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I'm not recommending that. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, for $10 jaws in 4k for $10. Um, I haven't watched it yet. Eric, you can give your quick opinions. Random acts of violence worth $10 or no? No, no. Okay. I would say it's probably worth three to sure. four. <laughs> like a rental or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Um, Apocalypse Now, $10. Um, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I like the house. Uh, it's $5 in 4K. Um, uh, Daddy's Home, <laughs> $5 in 4K, baby. Um Terminator Dark Fate um, is under $10 in 4K. The Shining under $10 in 4K. Um, Goodfellas in 4K, the remaster, um, under $10. Rocket Man in 4K, under $10. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Blade Runner, um, all both uh, under $10 in 4K. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid under $10 in 4K. Lawrence of Arabia restored version in 4K under $10. Hereditary under $10. The original Mad Max under $10. The 2018 Tomb Raider, I think that's worth uh, a 4K for under $10. Um, Tons of. Sequel's going to be directed by Ben Wheatley. Yeah, that's cool, man. Like, so uh, Florida Project in 4K under $10. there's tons and tons of great stuff. Uh, you were never really here. Eighth grade. There's crazy, crazy deals on uh, disaster artists. Speaking of Seth Rogen, and um, 
Well, and Brandon Trost, who is and a Brandon Trost. Yeah, that. that's that's what. It, yeah, even better, Eric. Um, so yeah, tons and tons of stuff. At least on my platform of choice, which is Apple TV 4K. So tons of stuff for ten dollars. Eric, any recos for what? Well, Matt, it's buy time week? to get physical, and when I mean physical, it's time to order something off of Amazon and wait for seven weeks <laughs> for it to show up. Uh, so yeah, so. Uh, Scream Factory slash Shout Factory is continuing their Hammer Horror releases. There's a new collector's edition of the Phantom of the Opera from uh, 1962, uh, directed by Terrence uh, Fisher, uh, which co-stars Michael Goff. Michael Goff, best known uh, as Alfred in the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Um, it's a little dry. I mean, Hammer movies are hit or miss. If they if they don't have Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing in them, they're not always the greatest. But um, it's a solid collector's edition. I would highly recommend it. Um, the other movie that I will talk about a little bit more that is coming out on August 25th that I watched that I do want to briefly mention is uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which is kind of like a Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, more horror specific that's based on the Romero series from the late 80s, early 90s that they made into a film. Um, there are four stories, one of which is a wraparound that stars Deborah Harry as a uh, housewife that uh, kidnaps and locks a small child played by Matthew Lawrence of um, Boy Meets World in her dungeon and is going to cook and eat. And he tells her these three stories to buy time, uh, one of which is about a mummy that comes back to life. So this movie was made in 1990. It is the first uh, screen performance of Julianne Moore. It's nice. one of Christian Slater's first films. And it is also one of uh, Steve Buscemi's first kind of um, – bigger movies because he was an independent kind of 80s actor on the scene before that he was a firefighter uh they all look like children uh christian slater turned 20 on the set wow. uh when they were making it so if you want to see like young christian slater um and and young julianne moore and c buscemi in that sequence uh it's 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 fun mummies aren't that scary but it's inventive and and enjoyable uh the second segment is called that damn cat where uh, a hitman is hired to kill a cat in an industrial millionaire's uh mansion and what's fascinating about this in terms of a a, a technical point of view is that with it's all shot in, in real time. So um, what they do, there are flashbacks to show you how the cat killed people in the mansion. And you have the flashbacks happening as the real story is going on. So the the main kind of industrial millionaire played by uh, William Hickey is, you know, rolling around in his wheelchair and he'll be talking to the hitman that he's hired played by David Johansson, um, who's best known as Poindexter, uh, the singer um, who sang that song, uh, Hot, 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 if you ever remember that. Um but he'll be rolling around and he'll be talking in real time and, and it's shot normally. And then all of a sudden he'll go blue and then it'll be the flashback and it's all shot within the same frame and he'll roll out of the scene and the lights will come on and it'll go back to a uh, normal uh, color tone, a normal color palette. And I've never have seen anything really like that done in horror movies before where a flashback is told within you know, a, a present moment. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the third story is called um, a lover's vow, which is about a gargoyle um, that spares the life of a failing artist played by James Remar, best known as Harry from Dexter. Um, and then he meets a woman that he falls in love with, but he can never tell, tell the story of the gargoyle because the gargoyle told him you can live as long as you do not 
tell anybody. Um, they're campy, they're fun, but I really love the five part behind the scenes making of, which goes through each one of the segments and the behind the scenes making of pre and post production. Um, Screen Factory is always great with that kind of stuff. Moving on to Kino, which Kino releases a lot of stuff, so I'll rapidly go through this. Um, Tender Mercies, which is the film that won Robert Duvall his Oscar about a uh, down-and-out country singer um, looking for redemption. Uh, It's a soulful, wonderful performance. Uh, The person that gave him the Oscar as well was Dolly Parton, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, It also uh, features uh, the late, great Wilford Brimley as uh, uh, his best friend friend in, in in the movie um sir richard attenborough's cry freedom is released richard attenborough being best known as john hammond in uh jurassic park um he was at one point known as a uh prestigious filmmaker having directed in one oscars for you know gandhi this was kind of a, a bit of a follow-up but the problematic being that the story of Stephen Biko is told from the point of view of a white guy played by Kevin Klein. Um, but Stephen Biko is played by Denzel Washington uh, is fantastic in the movie won the, uh, was nominated for the Oscar because then he won for glory uh, the next time around, but he's uh, amazing in that movie. And it's kind of a, a first glimpse outside of St. Elsewhere that you knew that Denzel was going to be kind of a big deal. And then a movie that I had never seen that I had a hard time finding because it was one of the films that uh, Siskel and Ebert loved uh, in the early 80s was a film called Diva. And it's about an opera fan who records uh, a diva uh, performing um, this uh, beautiful piece of 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 melody and he <laughs> brings in like this giant recorder and smuggles it under his uh uh coat and then he realizes that what's in the the musician's uh music or the song is a code where two japanese businessmen then pursue him through the streets of uh uh paris afterwards it's a fun movie i think it's a little dated like i think if i had seen this when i were you know in my teens i would have loved it more and it kind of feels like it's like pre-luc basson in a lot of ways like it's kind of like that slick glossy you know action european thriller that's not as trashy but kind of maybe a little goofy or dated by today's standards especially with technology because like the way that he uh the director i'm just gonna look up his name right now i have the uh the blu-ray in my hand um and they actually have an audio commentary with him, which is fantastic. And I'm going to butcher this name horribly, but Jean-Jacques uh, Benix, uh, who directed the movie, like it's so overly stylized, like the way that the camera angles and the cutting, it's, you know, like 13, 14 seconds between cuts, but still worth checking out if you're a fan of kind of like that early, like European action cinema. Um, so yeah, those are the movies that I would uh, uh, recommend checking out. Wicked. Um, let's move on to, uh, trailers. Um, so we've been off for like, um, almost a month or something, or we, we did our TIFF episode, <coughs> excuse me, our TIFF episode, but we didn't do a regular episode. Um, so we got a bunch of trailers to talk about. Uh, Eric, I don't know where you want to kick it off. I mean, we can go through just top down, like, actually let's kick it Matt, off with, I think Matt, I th- yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we have to, um, so yeah, Charlie Kaufman, uh, the new film written, directed by written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, coming to Netflix on September fourth, I believe. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, first trailer dropped uh, the other day, and dude, I'm. This looks fucking awesome. I'm a hundred percent in. 
I didn't realize that it was shot in, it looks like four by three. I mean, it might not be the exact aspect ratio, but I didn't realize that it had the boxed in style. And, and I texted you like it does, it does look a lot like, um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind where it's like exploring somebody in their, their mindset and what's going on internally. But it also looks a lot like Martin Scorsese's shutter Island where the character might be gaslit and is in a situation that's in, you know, an isolated location and the characters around, um, this person who's played by Jesse Buckley of beast and, uh, wild Rose, uh, is, is being presented as like, you know, coming over to her boyfriend's parents place for dinner uh, in the middle of, of nowhere uh, with a snowstorm. And we, we've been reading Ant Kind and we'll hopefully have um, yeah. a book review in the fall at some point. It is a very beefy book and Matt and I are, are, are slower readers, but we, we want to have something out um, hopefully around the time. With yeah. It. Yeah. But there are, there, there are lines and descriptions and sort of like the, the restaurant that she goes to in, in that trailer looks like Slammy's which is a restaurant that's described in the middle of nowhere in the the main character story of ant kind. Yeah, so it does, I just yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm so into this. Like it, it <laughs> just from every moment from like the dog shaking off and then that sound carrying throughout the entire oh, trailer. It's, it's just like, imagine a dog shaking and their collar kind of jingling. And then that playing. Oh, I, I, it was like, I know. It. Yeah. And it just, it, it was like riddling me with anxiety. And I was just like, and it just, I, I'm a thousand percent down for this. And it, um, yeah, I love that. The aspect ratio, I had no idea either. It looks like it's a, you know, a box, um, aspect ratio um the cast is incredible obviously there's a great um tony collette uh tweet that i retweeted about her, comparing her to um nicholas cage and uh david thulis looks awesome um uh jesse buckley looks fantastic um uh i don't it's a bad jesse joke Plemons. but Je- yeah i was gonna say fat damon but um i don't want to fat okay, I you're gonna say meth damon yeah meth damon's also good but no because he, of breaking he, he is he is fantastic dude and he i love when he's i mean we're gonna talk about another trailer where he shows up um and always playing a similar character but he's so good at it that you're kind of okay with it um yeah that i, I think he looks fucking awesome and just yeah the the kind of trippy nature of the whole trailer and it just looks like a thriller that's not going to necessarily be super scary but going to be fucking strange and i'm just i'm super super down and i cannot wait it's it's like one of my most anticipated things of the year now after seeing that trailer um i'm definitely yeah and i should also mention lucas zal is the cinematographer who also shot cold war and yeah uh, co-shot uh ida so i'm really in that aspect ratio right yeah yeah and and looking at that and and looking at i'm thinking of any things i mean obviously it's not in black and white but it kind of has that european sort of aesthetic to it where it is very kind of cold and calculated and and charlie kaufman and jesse plemons have talked about it like they're only using about like 20% of the book that it's based on by Ian Reed um, as kind of the starting point. So this could go in any direction. Apparently there's an animated sequence in the film. There's a yeah, musical you number. A, you see a section of that very briefly. Yeah. Um, so Netflix is now the place for, for filmmakers. It is man right now. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, 
uh, super, super jazzed about this and very, very excited. Um, next trailer I wanted to talk about is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, the trailer uh, recently dropped just yesterday or the day before. Um, starring yeah. da- Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Lakeith Stanfeld, um, uh, about um, the assassination of the leader of the Black Panthers, right? Is that correct? Fred Hampton. Yeah, Fred, Fred Hampton. Hampton. Yeah. 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 Um, th- I thought this was a super slick trailer. Um, I this looks awesome too. And like this is we're getting into that territory now into the fall where we would have been seeing you know a lot of stuff that probably would have played diff. Um, that this I, wouldn't have though. No, if, I'm not if, saying if coronavirus, but... if coronavirus didn't happen, this was originally scheduled for mid August. Oh, was it? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So anyways, either way, still looks great. Um, but we're, I, like I said, we're getting into that later part of the year where, um, you know, we're getting out of that blockbuster territory, but we're seeing these big dramas come out and, um, I don't know. I, I, I obviously, I, Daniel Kaluuya is, is fucking fantastic. And, um, I think he looks amazing in this and I, um, I'm really looking forward to this actually. Yeah, I am as well. And, and, and Daniel Kluya, like just like watching that trailer and the intensity of, you know, the speeches he's giving as Fred Hampton, um, it, it made me think like he was robbed of a nomination for widows as well, which is, you know, like that performance is, is scary, but we've talked about it before you with him, like everything that I've seen him in so far, he never plays the same role twice. And I just feel like every movie that he he is in and or he will be in, he's revealing something new about him that is just exciting to watch and kind of just be in awe of. And you kind of feel like you're in the presence of like, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, like this guy was like one of the greats, you know, and, and we got kind of a, a first row uh, seat to experiencing the amazing performances that he has has given um was and it's funny because like yeah and and well even like sicario like sicario could have been nothing and like there's an people forget he was in that yeah the way that like he's the one guy that calls josh brolin out on his bullshit from the beginning like he sees him for what he is and kind of keeps emily blunt's character grounded it's like like those little moments are so are are, are so amazing like even in kick-ass too like it's a shitty movie and it's unfortunate he's in the film but he's good in the movie um the only thing i don't like about this trailer is the title i think the title is kind of a little too on the nose because if you are familiar historically spoiler alert fred hampton was assassinated by the police during an interrogation um it feels like you kind of the title gives it away i kind of enjoyed or liked the original title for the film which is jesus is my homeboy i kind of thought oh, that was okay. a good title see that's what i know what you're talking about now where yeah, like, I remember but maybe jesus is my homeboy sounds too much of like a comedy or something like that where judas and the black messiah like you kind of can tell like okay well lakeith stanfield is playing the judas in this situation right yeah. and you can even see that in the trailer um but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about it. I am curious to see how it will play because it was supposed to be a mid-August release originally, and now it's only has a coming soon, much like Zola, which we'll probably get into next, where the studios are being smart now and not actually saying when they're coming out. They're just kind of giving you a, a tease to like, this is what we have, and it will come out when it's when, safe to do so. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we can get right into Zola, I guess, too. We got a very quick, less than a minute teaser trailer um for zola which is the uh a a24 um yeah. film that's based on a twitter thread um from a few years ago and um 
Eric, you might know be able to describe it better than me. You're you're better at this, but um, yeah. So it's it's about a feud between two strippers on a road trip, um, played by Taylor Page, and I think this is one of her first movies. She's the star. The uh, we should make Zola. that very clear. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people were saying, I, I think it was Entertainment Weekly or, yeah, or one of those or something. Yeah, yeah. We're saying Riley Keough is is the lead, which she's not. She's supporting. I mean, she's in the movie, and it's not like she's not a part of it, but she is not the lead. And it's about these two feuding um, strippers and sort of their kind of ongoing rivalry. Um, it Played was shot Sundance, by- didn't it? Sundance, yeah. Um, it also co-stars uh, Cole uh, Coleman uh, Domingo from uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, um, Nicholas Braun, Braun, uh, Braun from yeah. Um, Succession, yeah, from Succession, Cousin Greg. So it, it kind of feels like it is, and it's also set in Florida. Like it feels like it is hitting those like A twenty four marks. Oh yeah, like, hundred percent. Spring Breakers, The Florida Project, American Honey. You know, like all these movies have to take place in you know florida and have to be kind of like hot and heavy i i'm i don't think it's shot in four by three but i would be surprised yeah or an iphone or something like that um yeah yeah no it, i think it's cool we don't see much love the title treatment i want to give that a shout out um right when i saw that i'm like i'm in this looks dope um i don't know a ton about the twitter thread i don't want to go back and read it now just because i'd rather experience it in the movie but um yeah and then you made a good point about the coming soon thing yeah we're not really getting release days dates anymore and that i i made a joke to you on on a thread being like oh maybe that means they'll just randomly drop it you know on streaming services or something like that they won't um no it does not look like that a24 cares a24 will not budge the only one they did is first cow is because first cow was released a couple of weeks before everything started shutting down. So they just kind of felt like, well, might as well cut our losses, which is a shame because Kelly Reichardt's movie is amazing. And we're still getting that Sofia Coppola, a 24 movie with Apple. Like they have that whole deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. On the rocks. Yeah. So, uh, no, don't know much about Zola, but, um, or we don't see much in the trailer, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's go into Kajillionaire next. Um, Eric, you kick this off. I watched this trailer, um but so I, this is yeah. Miranda July's um third film because she directed a movie back in the early uh aughts uh Me You and Everyone We Know uh, which co-starred her and uh John Hawks and it's a very beautiful kind of uh intimate sort of story about relationships and friendships and the people around you and it's I, I hate using the word because it's just such a simplistic way of describing indie movies but it is kind of quirky in its its nature um, but Miranda July has such a very kind of interesting point of view that she has a distinct style and you can tell, you know, between that and then her follow-up, which was called the future, which I wasn't as big of a fan of. Um, but the kind of interesting thing about that story is that it's narrated by a cat whose paws you see the whole time. And it's her voice as the cat as well. She also co-stars in that film. Um, this kind of seems to be her biggest movie to date um and this was also an annapurna movie originally um but then they sold it off to uh focus at um sundance so this stars uh evan rachel wood uh as a young woman who has grown up in a family of thieves and kind of these uh two parents that are living on the outskirts of society and marginally living um but are okay with that played by deborah winger and richard jenkins and they bring in uh 
oh, what's her name into the fold? Uh, Gina. Why am I blanking on her name? Keep going and then I'll. I'll... I think it's Gina Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking because I was thinking Miss. I was thinking Miss Bala and I was like. Miss Bala, Jane the Virgin. Yeah, Gina Rodriguez. I was right. Um, because I remember she got in trouble recently for dropping uh, yeah, a racial yeah. slur. Um, but this to me, like on the surface, I can see people being like, oh my God, this again looks really kind of quirky and offbeat. And like, am I going to enjoy this? But if you give Miranda July the chance, she can do things that are so unexpected and interesting that kind of rise above just like your classic Sundance film. So I'm curious about this one. I don't know if I love the trailer and like, yeah, same. Just, again, hearing out of context, like Evan Rachel Wood's voice, it's like, okay, that is kind of grating. But again, you're, you're seeing it from a trailer that takes clips from the movie and is kind of putting them together in the way that they think will be able to sell a film. So context is always important when, when watching anything, but especially when it comes to something that's a little bit more sort of off the beaten path. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, the context helps, but I, I just couldn't get into this trailer. Um, I, I, I might give it another shot. I, I wasn't, I probably threw it on as I was doing other things and, and I don't think that was the best way to maybe watch it, but um not familiar with her other stuff. I haven't watched it. And um yeah, this just, I don't know. I couldn't get into it. I think I might have even stopped the trailer because um, it was a bit grating to me, to your point. So um, couldn't get into it. Which I get. I understand. I, I, I get where you're coming from. But again, you know, um, I'll talk about it more in September when when I when I actually see it when we check it out. But um, yeah, her like it, it, sometimes it is hard to market a movie based on like two minutes, you know, of footage oh definitely i'm yeah i mean trailers aren't even again i i wish i had the willpower to just not watch trailers and just eliminate this section but i'm i'm a weak man um i didn't watch bill and ted face the music the new trailer uh do you have any comments i didn't either i didn't either i just (laughs) have it listed here but we'll watch it it's coming out on august 28th now so we'll probably review it when it's when it's available yeah i should watch the first two because i don't think i ever have um they're fine i'll watch them before if we're reviewing this one i feel like i need the context of watching the other two so that'll be my homework I, i have a bias for this film already though because it is under what like Oh, it's 80 like, minutes. Yeah, it's like not almost just over like 70 minutes, I think. Uh, so automatic one star bump. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will talk about Tesla. I think the trailer for Tesla is awesome and uh, super into it. Like the style of this movie, um, it's the Nikola Tesla biopic uh, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, but not really a traditional biopic. It doesn't look like, um, very interesting take on, on that. Man. It almost looks like walk hard, right. But for like historical biopics where it's taking the piss out of what goes into those types of movies to begin with. Yeah. Which I love. And I, um, I, I don't know what to make of this movie. Um, had no idea that this was going to be the tone of it and the style. Um, but like you said, yeah, it almost feel, feels like it's playing on, you know, 
those tropes and different things, but then kind of doing its own thing. And um, um, I was so, so down for this um, when I, well, I when, Tom, when, when, when Kyle McLaughlin pulls out his phone as Thomas Edison, you can't you, like, I mean, if you don't know already, you do at that point clue in that this isn't going to be like a authentic, you know, Tesla biopic. This mm-hmm. is this is going to be something that's a little bit more abstract and maybe sort of deconstructing this specific genre of filmmaking. Yeah, I, I loved it. So if you haven't watched this trailer yet, um, uh, go check it out. It's supposedly coming to theaters, but also VOD on the end of August, correct? The 21st? Uh, the end of August. Or they just in the moved US it, didn't they? Through, no, 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 no. It's coming out in August in 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 the U.S. through IFC in Canada. Oh yeah. VBS Films is releasing it at the end of September. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's been a bummer lately with IFC stuff because the rentals still never came out here. Not available. It is. It's oh, coming wait. though. Okay. So that 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 is a story worth talking about. So IFC uh, is is releasing an app that will be available in Canada with uh, all of their content. I'm actually going to look it up right now. Uh, if you want to get to the next yeah uh, trailer or news story, I'll oh yeah, for sure. That's good news because I'm I do want to watch it. And um, I think that was pretty much it. Actually, like um, we had a couple other things on here, but I don't think that they're worth referencing. But yeah, I heard IFC doing their own streaming service or something, right? Yeah, I've got it right here. So uh, August fifth, uh, IFC Films announced today that its streaming service channel, IFC Films Unlimited, has expanded to include distribution on Amazon Prime Video channels for Canada beginning July twenty eighth. Uh, customers can subscribe directly to IFC Films Unlimited uh, on Prime Video for five ninety nine Canadian per month. IFC Films uh, is a subscription video. Blah 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 blah. Um, so yeah, so starting then, uh, movies like The Rental, which IFC has been releasing a lot of their stuff in Canada on iTunes recently, but due to rights issues to certain films like the rental, it hasn't come out. So now it will. And they're kind of really playing up movies like um, Tesla. I, I, Tesla will be the one that won't. I don't think because it VVS uh, bought it, I think at script stage, I could be wrong at the script stage thing, but they bought it. So they own the rights to it. Um, but other films that that are also available now, like uh, Baby Teeth and The Wretched and Relic, things like that, will all be available um, to uh, stream, That's which awesome. is exciting. That is super, super exciting. Because um, it was frustrating last year with The Nightingale, right? Like, right. Nobody picked it up here. Yeah. So I hope that gives them an avenue to um, to get that stuff to us. So um, that's super, super exciting. Um, good first news story. Um, we didn't really prep like a list of news to talk about. There's been a lot that kind of, you know, happened over the last couple weeks or so. Um, but I think the biggest thing, um, there's a couple of huge things. So where do you want to kick off? We can kick off with Mulan. We can go with Tenant. We can talk about theaters being opened. Um, I think those are the big things that we should maybe talk about. Yeah. But um, I think we should start with Mulan since we are talking about movies still and, and movie yeah. trailers and streaming services. So Mulan now is opening uh, or is going to be available uh, on Disney Plus starting on September 4th. But the catch here is, is that even if you have uh, the streaming service or you subscribe to the streaming service, you still have to play, pay, what is it, $24.99 um, to uh, 
rent slash own it because yeah, you own it on yeah. the streaming yeah. service. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 29. So yeah, it's $30. $30. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Disney dipping their toes into, you know, premium VOD, but through their own streaming service, which I think is really interesting. So really to watch Mulan, it's going to cost you, and this is American. We don't know if Disney will charge a premium for, um, you know, Canadian Disney plus members, obviously our membership costs a little bit more than the U S so you'd expect this rental would, but, um, uh, our people have pointed out online when I was tweeting about this. Dave Baldwin, shout out, um, uh, pointed out that well, the U.S. Uh, premium VOD rentals at twenty dollars have been the same twenty dollars here. Um, so that's a good point. Um, but yeah, you're basically you have to pay your what Disney Plus is what like seven dollars a month, depending on what uh you, what you pay yeah. and if you subscribe for a year or or yada yada yada. Um, but then you're paying almost forty dollars American with your membership fee uh, to get Mulan early. Disney, like you mentioned, Eric did confirm that once you rent it or it's called a premiere, you basically unlock it early on Disney plus. That's essentially what you're doing because it will eventually be available for everyone on Disney plus probably in a couple months or something like that. You'd think once the or early next year. Yeah, um, yeah. It depends if they go the traditional, like when they would have dropped it on, you know, 4k blu-ray which is another interesting news story we can talk about too after this um but yeah i i don't there it was caused a, a big hubbub on uh on twitter i put out a poll uh to people and i made a bunch of jokes dumb jokes and things like that too um i have to pull it up again but eric what what is your initial reaction to this we talked a little bit about it um i'm in the camp you know i'm in the camp of like I've been saying that give people options. I don't mind the day and date releasing at home. I know theater owners hate it. I know there's a lot of people that don't know. That one guy who broke the, 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 the standee, right? Like that was just ridiculous. Sorry. And I get it. I get that you want, I want theaters to survive too. Me saying I'm okay with day and date digital or day and date streaming. Um, doesn't mean that like I'm, I'm wishing for the death of movie theaters. Like I really think, no, if we give people the option theaters will, it'll hurt them. Um, but if it, I, I hope who it hurts, no offense are the big multiplexes, right? Like the big conglomerates, the people who have been controlling this industry for so long and being the, the gatekeepers. Although there's another piece of news we can talk about that kind of adds another layer on top of that, that might just move from, you know, the cineplexes and the AMCs and stuff being in control to the studios actually being in control, which could be even a step further. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a mixed bag on this. Like I'm one who always embraces new tech, who always embraces, you know, new ways of thinking. And I think people hate change. And I think the price point is obviously very high. And because they're charging even 10 more dollars than what, you know, Universal charged for the King of Staten Island or, uh, Warner Brothers charged for Scoob. I think Scoob was $30 though, wasn't it? I forget. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't pay yeah. for it. You rented it. <laughs> yeah, but it was something ridiculous like that. Um, so I don't know. Like uh, I'm curious to see what you think and then I'll pull up. I I, I sent a couple polls out to um, our friends on Twitter and um, got a, a good amount of responses. Uh, and uh, We can go into those results as well. Yeah, um, I, I think I have a... Uh, 
kind of a similar feeling where I'm I'm not against it. I mean, it, it kind of does suck for anybody that doesn't know the industry or doesn't follow along. It's like you have Disney Plus and then you see Mulan pop up, but you have to pay another 30 odd dollars to rent it. Maybe in some situations that's fine because I mean, that's probably still cheaper than, you know, a night out with a family kind of situation, right? And Disney is going to be making all of the money on this because it's not going to be filtered through the theater or um, any other means, it's going direct, or you know, I- iTunes or something like that. Yeah. Like it's going directly, it's directly to, to them, them, right? Yeah. But the thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and and it, the person I have to give credit to who brought this up um, is film critic Alonzo Duralde, who talked about it on Breakfast All Day. Is that okay? Well, say you buy um, Mulan and you and you own it, you have it forever but you have to keep paying for disney plus to keep it right so like say you don't want to have disney plus anymore you can't take the mulan movie out of disney plus i think that's just the digital age that we live in now dude like and that sucks i'm not saying that that's a great thing but i mean that's basically even when i buy all my movies digitally on itunes and and things like that i'm basically renting a license but you're not paying right? for itunes as no, a service I, yeah. right but i think if you ever were to come back to disney plus it would still be attached to your account and even then by the time that happens it's probably available to everyone anyway but um yeah that's an interesting point um i that just goes back to the them being the first people to say no you also need to have our subscription to do it and people compared it to their theme parks and things like that and um, if you've ever gone to any theme park or any um, Comic Con or any event where you're paying money to get entry and then you have to pay more money to do things inside said thing, right? You don't just pay and then everything's free inside the park or you don't go to a carnival and all the rides are free or something like that. Carnivals don't necessarily have entry fees. Some of them do depending on where you go. Um so it kind of reminds me of that, and it, it goes back to this this Scorsese thing. Is Scorsese, yeah, that said theme parks uh, rides um, yeah. for Marvel movies. So it kind of goes back to that mentality, and and I, I'm laughing at the whole thing, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like that is the biggest thing. Of they're the first people to say no, you have to pay this seven dollar membership, and if you leave, you lose Mulan as well. So um, I think it'll get something people need to get used to. And I agree with you that there are going to be a lot of people that are on Disney plus going, well, why did I get onward for free and didn't have to pay? Or why did I get the one and only Ivan, which is a brand new movie coming out on Disney plus. And I why did I get Artemis <laughs> Fowl for free, yeah. but not Mulan? Yeah. That's what I mean. Artemis Fowl is a better uh, example, Eric, because that was intended to be a theatrical film, right? So um, it's going to be, Whoever's going to be the first is always going to, I think, get the most backlash before this becomes like a normal thing. And we, I talked to you and I'm like, it's only going to take one and it's going to be probably Disney to be like, no, we're going to do it and we're going to charge you this amount of money and they're going to set the standard for it, right? And then- And you're going to buy it. Yeah. And that's what I mean. So if we go into these poll results of- I said, I'm going to try to do this every week and make it kind of a new segment and send out a poll and we can kind of go over what people, because like, I mean, I got over 200 votes for this um, poll, which is a pretty good, you know, size of people. Mind you, a lot of people who follow me are, you know, film people. It's not necessarily your general 
and Russian uh, bots and Russian bots. Yeah. Sex bots. Um, going back to naked attraction. Um, are you going to pay $30 us or $40 Canadian? I estimated that. I don't know if they're doing that to rent Mulan on Disney plus I got 12% saying yes. Um, 78% saying no. And then 10% that said, we'll wait for reviews. And I think this is, I mean, it's easy to click a button on Twitter. Um, uh, and I think Mulan's an interesting movie where I think it would have made a lot of money if it was in theaters. Um, but I don't know if it's the movie that people are like clamoring for that want to pay $30 for. So my follow-up question was, would you pay $30 to rent an MCU movie on Disney plus? And then it spiked up to 31% said yes. 58% said no. And then 10% again said depends on reviews. Um, and then my last question, and then we can talk about all of this, Eric. Um, what is the most you would pay for first run movies on demand? Obviously, the cheapest option at twenty dollars had the most votes for forty five percent. Thirty dollars had eleven percent. Four point two percent of people said forty dollars they would pay, and then thirty eight, so pretty split with the cheapest thing, said cinema or bust, bruh. That kind of makes sense. A lot of people following me, um, you know love the the theatrical experience um i think in the 78 percent of people it makes sense for mulan i think because i think people are a little bit kind of indifferent and we kind of know what we're gonna get with these disney live action remakes although mulan's in slightly different camp than lion king and aladdin and things like that because it seems like and it's not a musical the musical yeah. elements have been taken out and it's pg-13 that's the other thing yeah. that's important to note about it like i think it'll probably be better than those movies for that reason um but i think people are less interested in it than the shot for shot remake stuff that we've kind of gotten in past personally so i don't know if mulan is the best movie to say would you pay 30 dollars to watch it because i think people were kind of mixed on it anyway um that being said i think the marvel thing is kind of skewed i think people would if someone said black widow is available right now for 30 dollars. if you like those movies um right you're gonna pay that 30 dollars a thousand percent and you're a liar if you say you're not <laughs> um right and uh yeah if you enjoy those movies and you like again if you've seen every marvel movie or the majority of marvel movies or you just like Marvel movies in general. And here's the thing. So I'm going to go on a tangent and I've said this to other people and, and Eric, I'm curious you, this $30 is not that much for a movie. It is a lot. If it's a lot because it's a new thing. It's also a lot if you're watching alone. And I understand that if you get just one other person, your friend, your partner, your family, your mom and dad, um, your family of four, uh, anything above two people, it's a good deal. And you can make the argument of quality or if you want the special experience of going to the cinema or, or you have a shitty TV or something like that, that's all sure that comes into play. But the only way this isn't like too much money or this is too much money. If you're literally, I'm going, Hey Nevis, you want to watch a movie tonight? Mulan's available for 30 bucks. And she's like, I don't give a fuck about Mulan. I'm not paying $30 for Mulan. Uh, um, and I'm like, all right, I got to watch it by myself. Now I'm paying $30 for Mulan by myself. If Nevis would have watched it for me, 15 bucks each, 
That's easily less than what I'm spending to go to the movies. You're a family now. You have five people in your family. You're splitting that evenly down there. You're paying way less than you would go to the movies. And plus that, you're not paying for expensive um, concessions. Concessions. I can drink beer at home for that's way cheaper than the beer at the movies. You can be in your um, underwear and watch a kid's yeah. movie like God intended. Yeah. And if you have a good setup, yes, nothing will beat for me going to the light box or going to a TIFF screening or going to Alamo Draft House or Arc Light or one of those great cinemas that cares about projection and things like that or a great independent cinema maybe the paradise haven't gone there yet in toronto but like the fox theater even like even those theaters that are like independently owned but they really care there might be a little bit older or something like that but they really care about projection landmark even has great sound and projection and and, and an experience uh, at least this one in whippy um but for the most part a lot of people's experience at home might be less intrusive the picture might be clearer because your TV is probably brighter. Your sound system might be, you know, better tuned because there's not as much that can go wrong with it. And it might sound pretty decent. And I think like 75% of movies I would be okay with watching at home now. And there's the 25%, maybe you get up to like 33%, like a third of movies that I'm like, no, I have to go see that in a theater. Um, so anyways, that's my tangent. And like, I, I really think, People just hate change and they hate going, wow, fucking $30 for a movie. I pay $10 or $15 to go see it at a cinema. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But just if you're watching it, just you can bring people over. You can all watch it together if it's safe and we're allowed to do that. Um, but for me, this is fascinating. And um, you mentioned it already about Disney taking the majority of the profits here. If they can make, they're saying it's a one-off because of COVID which is just a way to make theater owners not pissed at them. Um, it's them testing if this is a good thing. If they notice... Which it will be. It it's will going be. to be. Yeah. And, and now with this other rule about... I don't have the exact article because, again, we this is kind of a Frankenstein episode, but um, the government just passed a, something that got rid of a law that said studios can't buy theater chains. And now they're able to. That's what I interpreted from this article is like a Netflix or an Apple or a Disney uh, can now buy a cinema chain again where they for 75 years were not able to do so because it was too, you know, controlling. Um, but now they're saying with Netflix and how streaming services are run, things have changed so much that why shouldn't they be able to run their own theater chain and things like that or something, at least that I might could be completely wrong. Please correct me if I am, but that's what I interpreted from this article. So there's a lot going on, man. And like we keep t talking about how cinema is going to change and how COVID's kind of pushed that and expedited that. Um, uh, and I don't know, this is fascinating. Would I pay $30 for Mulan? Maybe not by myself. I probably would. Cause I'm a, you know, I have to see, you know, every big movie that comes out. Um, I paid fucking $25 for Scoob. I'm going to pay $30 for Mulan. Um, mind you, we might not have to do that because we're probably going to review it. But if I was an average consumer, $30 because I love movies, I'd probably pay uh, to watch at home. And Mulan's a movie I don't care enough about that I need to see it in a theater, even though I'm sure the big sweeping cinematography and action sequences and stuff looks great on the big screen. But then I also don't have, to, I can avoid, you know, morons at public showings of movies. Anyways, I talked a lot, Eric, what do you think? 
Yeah, and I think it'll also be especially cheaper for, you know, like collectors who would pick up the Blu-ray or 4K because now Disney uh if if you go to uh the digital bits there's a full article on it uh bill shout out to bill hunt um they are limiting their um productions mostly catalog titles for now anyways um they still have uh home alone and hocus pocus being released on uh 4k in september but after that all production on both disney and fox acquired titles will be no longer going uh onto blu-ray so they're kind of just discontinuing or at least halting uh any new productions of um, 4K retro Blu-ray. titles. And 4K Blu-ray specifically, right? Yeah, yeah. But these are specifically also for catalog titles. So these are like like the newer stuff that will get a theatrical release. Like the Marvel stuff will still probably get the 4K Blu-ray releases and things like that. But like if you're hoping for you know, something that you've seen on the catalog for a while um, that might not happen. Like for example, the, the animated version of Mulan now might not get a, a, a 4k release, which I'm sure that would have been timed with either the, the theatrical release or um, the release of it on Blu-ray and 4k when the new version came out. And who's to say what's going to happen with this version of Mulan, where it might just exist only on Disney the Plus, streaming yeah. service. Yeah. And so that's kind of interesting as well. And just again, like the idea of, you know, theaters like Disney having an even bigger monopoly because they could end up, you know, working with, you know, a theater chain in the US or end up buying Cineplex in Canada because they have the money. I mean, it's pocket change to them at this point with, you know, all the money they have made with the live action Disney movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it is very much possible that you could go to, you know, the Walt Disney Theater, you know, in in uh in whippy you know like something like that could happen where they buy out a a, the ajax cineplex or something like that um it will be curious to see how that goes in the next year or so and and i do find it funny that out of all the movies that disney has this is the one that they are trying with because like the the new mutants which at this point i don't even think is a real movie uh is the one film where it's kind of like you think that would be the first movie to be pushed off the the edge, so to speak? But there were rumors maybe... that they couldn't because of the deal with HBO, right? For Fox movies, right. yeah, yeah. And then, like on top of that as well, like you still have other competing or competing titles and 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 studios. Like I think the studio system at this point is just kind of mad at netflix specifically because it's like well why didn't we think of that first and now you're finally seeing all these studios coming up with their version of the streaming service because they realize that there's money there and there's a way to you know not have to share the revenue or that pot with anybody else and yeah like disney is going to make a ton of money off of this and if they wanted to they could take the marvel series that they're working on and they could do the same exact thing and people would still pay for it you know like you pay uh 30 for eight episodes of yeah you know Fal- falcon in the snow uh, the snowman falcon in the winter <laughs> uh, soldier um falcon in the snowman is a shot i think Timothy they've Hunt lost movie. that because of um they've already announced those as disney plus shows but no i know that but they could do that in the future sure. right like they could see that as a as a way to yeah. make quite i think a you still money. need to differentiate what your tv shows are and what your films are um but yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you talked about breaking out the, the middleman, and I think that's what they're trying to do with this. And then if they do do that thing, I could see a world where all the there's only going to be you know 
the big studios and then they each own a cinema chain or something like we have the different cinema chains and then they all so you can either go see their movies at their movie theaters so that's available to us or you can watch it on their streaming service and then that way you kind of they do have control of the whole thing and i think we're going to see a vastly i think this the cinema industry is going to change immensely over the next we keep talking about it and now it's happening and it's crazy and it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and well, universal partnering up with, with AMC, right? I mean like that looks like it's the beginning of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm getting a text from Nevis of what, uh, what to have for dinner. So, um, <laughs> this is happening in, in real time. Yeah. So, which is more important than the movie theaters. Um, no, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this ball plays out. I think it will be super successful to them. I think they are BSing by saying this is only a COVID thing. I think black widow could potentially be the next thing that they do this with. Um, but it de- really depends on how much money they end up making on this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp of being like, I, I like giving people options. Uh, if it fucks everything up right now, I, I feel really bad for the people who would lose their jobs at these cinemas and independent theaters. Mostly I don't want them to struggle at all, but I hope this lifts some restrictions of what they can play. And I hope they are the ones that rise up from the ashes and, and really stick around. And I hope that Disney doesn't strong arm, a lot of these small theaters out and not Disney specifically, just, you know, studios, if they're able to buy cinemas and stuff like that. And and because Netflix did that with the, you know, the Paris theater in New York and, and it's not a cinema chain per se, but they're buying these single location cinemas. And I don't know. I just, I want independent theaters to rise up and those be the places that we go to. If we want to see a movie in theaters, right? Like the people who, passionately give a fuck about this experience and have a mix of art house stuff and weird stuff and indie stuff and uh and studio stuff because i i think it all works well together like i I, i'm a big fan of obviously big studio films Uh, like i love the mcu i love big blockbusters but i also like small indies and i like that weird stuff i'm talking about and i want to find that hidden gem that i didn't know about that eric recommended to me and i can go see it at that tiny theater over there and like i hope that all stuff continues to happen i don't want a world where cinemas don't exist like i do love going to the movie theaters i can't wait um, you want your cinema to be a burrito, taking a variety of ingredients and mixing it together, and it works as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads uh, uh, into the. I mean, we'll finish up, I guess. Like, it's not going to be a huge news thing because I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, but the cinemas are open right now, uh, at least in Ontario, in phase three with social distancing. Um, I have not gone. Um, I don't really plan on going anytime soon, but then that said the big other news that we missed was tenant now has another release date that looks like it's sticking with, um, that it's majority of the world that has dealt with COVID really well and are in, you know, phases of opening in different stages are getting it on August 27th. Correct. Um, yeah. And then the United States will get it two weeks later in the beginning of September. Um, I think September 4th, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's supposedly, um, I, I don't know. Like it's, 
it's crazy. Like I, it looks like they're sticking with this. It makes sense, I guess, to just go, okay, well the countries that are doing well and that we feel confident in, in releasing this are going to get it. And then the U S which I could still see being pushed out. Um, so I don't know, man. What what are your thoughts on Tenet? We've talked about it over and over I just keep thinking about that. Uh, I think you sent it to me that that article or excerpt that Seth Rogen talked about. Like you know, Chris uh, Chris Nolan was so adamant about killing his most avid fans <laughs> with uh, with seeing Tenet in the theater the way it was meant to be seen when talking about uh, American Pickle being released. But it will be interesting. Like it. it I think that like out of all the release dates so far, this one does seem the most possible, but that is coming from a conversation we're having right now, which is, you know, the Sunday of August the 9th. We don't know where we'll be, you know, what phase, if we'll still be in phase three, when we get to that date specifically, we might be back in phase two, right? There might be a second wave. So, you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and say like, okay, well, you know, this is happening, but it looks like this is the most realistic approach so far where Nolan kept saying, okay, we'll just, you know, with the studio and Nolan saying, we'll delay it a month and, you know, give it a new date. And, you know, tentatively, it will be released then and and people will be going back to the theaters. But now with this rollout, especially with international markets where he's probably going to make more internationally anyways than he would in uh, the US, he's he's going to profit as much as he possibly can. Now, it'll be interesting to see what those box office numbers will be. Uh, you know, because like thinking in the before times, if coronavirus never happened, <laughs> Tenet would probably be a film that would make probably around a hundred million dollars in that first weekend. You know, now we're looking at it as piecemeal yeah. and we're going to be seeing, okay, well, how much did it make in China? How much did it make in parts of the UK? How much did it make in Canada? And how much does that add up or compare? Or even if you can compare that to, uh, you know, what it would make without what's going on right now. And, and that's going to be fascinating. And I do still want to see the movie, but there's this weird feeling that I just kind of feel almost exhausted by the film or just burnt out on it, that it's like, we haven't even seen the film, but we've been talking so much about it, mostly in a contentious kind Will of manner. Will it ever live up to the hype? <laughs> right. And, and it's funny that it comes out a day before the new mutants, because the new mutants is right now scheduled for uh, August 28th. So it's almost like this game of chicken that those two movies are playing. It's like, which one will come out first or if either one will be released. I do think Tenant does come out, man. Like it, I mean, oh, Tenant will come out, but yeah. will it come out on the 27th? Yes, I think it will. At the moment, yeah. But I mean, again, we don't know what where we'll be in yeah. a couple of weeks from now. That's right? fair. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I kind of feel exhausted about Tenant as well. I know. Um, I think it was just big that we could start seeing movies come out and the U.S. not get them or get them later, which we're so used to in other countries. So it's just not funny because lots of people are dying and that country is just completely fucking it up. But when you're putting it in the lens of, you know, the entertainment industry and film, which is what this podcast is about, it's like we've had to deal with that so much over the years that it's funny seeing, you know, them get upset or certain people get upset that, you know, other countries are getting it before them. So, and it's such a small thing, like who cares? There's more important things to worry about than tenant right now. Um, especially in that country. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, this I'm, I'm kind of tired of talking about tenant too. I want to watch it. I inquired about renting a whole theater for it. So we'll see if that happens, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> 
I don't know when I'll be comfortable going. I, I'm getting there with cases in the 70s now in, in Ontario. It's getting pretty low. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel, but we'll kind of monitor it over the next couple of weeks and um, we'll keep on. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more developments that we'll talk about. So anyways, we just hit the two hour mark. So let's cut it there. Um Thank you all for listening. This has been a weird kind of, you know, Matt moved into the new place. So we randomly wanted to, you know, record something. Um, so the new segment was a little jumbled, but we talked, I think, about the biggest couple pieces of news. Uh, Eric, did we miss anything that you wanted to mention on the news front? I don't think so. I think that was the biggest stuff, I, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's other like news stories. Yeah, that we haven't touched casting. on. Oh, like Bradley Cooper, you know, being cast in Paul Thomas Anderson's right. next movie. We'll, and as you we'll made the joke, Diet DiCaprio with DiCaprio, him taking yeah. his sloppy seconds. Yeah. But we'll, um, yeah, all that stuff is we're excited to see those movies. And I think, I think Bradley Cooper is a good actor. Yeah. So um, thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this, we have another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, where Eric and I review new movies uh, a little bit more professionally and uh, for a lot less time. Uh, so go check that out. Our new reviews up. Uh, our new reviews are up for um, She Dies Tomorrow um, and American Pickle. Why do I always blank on the second review? Just like you can't connect whenever we're trying to record on the second review. Uh, oh, Inside Baseball. <laughs> Um, please rate and review both podcasts on your podcast service of choice. We would really, really appreciate that. That really helps us kind of get in front of more people's ears. Um, also follow us on the social medias at untitled underscore cast. Eric does a great job of letting you know when new episodes are out and new reviews and things like that. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can um, uh, follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can uh, follow me on the social medias at EM6211 and on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene for all my uh, latest video reviews. Until next time. I cannot remember the name of that uh, new coach, but what's his name? Sheldon Queef? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, bye everybody. <laughs> go Leafs go.